Put that coffee down. Coffee's for closers only. Welcome to Coffee with Closers, a podcast produced by Pinkston, a strategic communications firm headquartered just outside Washington, D.C. We talk with some of America's most influential closers, from industry-leading CEOs to best-selling authors, professional athletes, entrepreneurs, and everyone in between. So grab a cup of coffee and sit back as we take you on an informative, thought-provoking, and highly entertaining journey into the lives of highly successful, driven, forward-thinking disruptors who are making a lasting impact in their field and on society. Welcome to the Coffee with Closers podcast presented by the communications firm Pinkston here in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Steve Burke. Please make sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes so you can get every episode. Joining us today is Ann Balser. She is Senior Executive Vice President, Chief of Government Relations and Public Policy for the Independent Community Bankers of America, ICBA for short. She has spent the majority of her professional career in financial services, holding executive positions at Forbright Bank, formerly Congressional Bank. And from 2010 to 2013, Anne served as Maryland's Deputy Commissioner of Financial Regulation in Governor Martin O'Malley's administration, where she was praised for her measured across-the-aisle approach to regulation and policy. Additionally, because of her strong and extensive expertise in public policy and financial services, Ms. Balser has testified before Congress, as well as state and local legislatures. And welcome to Coffee with Closers. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. We've got a lot to talk about. Uh, But before we jump jump into the issues of the day, let's start with your organization, the Independent Community Bankers of America. Just tell us at a high level, um, who do you represent and what is your overall mission? Sure. That's a, it's a great question. And we are a, an association that exclusively represents community banks from across the country. Here in Washington, uh, we offer advocacy services. That's what I, you know, I, I am responsible for with my incredible team, um, which, you know, is both with the regulators, policymakers and, and on Capitol Hill. Um, but, you know, we're, we're a member driven organization. So our members, our community bank members, you know, really set our our priorities um, in the advocacy space. We also offer education. Uh, all these regulations and rules are tough to keep up with, sure. um, constantly changing. And so we like to, you know, ensure that our, our bankers, their boards are able to, you know, really optimize and, and, and be fully uh, enabled to, to be their best selves and try to make it easier for them through different educational programs, whether in person, online. Um, and then, you know, probably the most exciting piece of what we do is in the innovation space. And that's working with our community bankers to develop, you know, uh, different types of technological, you know, services, tools, Um, you know, really, again, when you think all things innovation, making and optimizing banking services and services that are deliverable to consumers, small businesses, but then also, you know, some of the things are behind the scenes just to make the, the, um, you know, the system just remain remain competitive um, because as, as we've seen, there are a lot of non-bank products and services constantly introduced into the market. So we want to ensure that our, our community banks stay at the forefront. That's great. Let me ask you this. Um, what are the advantages of banking locally um, that might differ from having a relationship with a larger financial institution? It does. And I, 
again, I I could talk about this all day. Sure, I, I, I love <laughs> community banks. Um, I you know I drank the proverbial Kool Aid sure. years ago back sure. when I was actually in the O'Malley administration, and we were in difficult economic times. Um, you know, during during that experience, I saw really firsthand during a financial crisis how these community banks in small jurisdictions and just really in Maryland at that time, based on where my my vantage point was, were the lifeblood of of their communities. You know, working with with homeowners facing foreclosures or tough economic times. Then I, you know, fast forward went to a community bank, a Maryland chartered bank. And again, through the, the PPP, you know, the, the COVID Relief uh, Payment Protection Act um, funds that were, uh, you know, implemented um, through congressional action and, and really put out, you know, quickly, community banks were the ones that stepped up to the challenge and really delivered that desperately needed financing. Yep. Now, what, you know, bank locally is so meaningful when you think about the other areas of our lives, right? I go to my farmer's market, I have my milk delivered, I, you know, I, I try to um, engage in small business relationships with, you know, merchants in my community. Um, and it's really, that very much is similar in a community bank environment. Um, while you still have the same sophistication of products and services, you know, what you what you need um, to have an, a, an effective banking relationship, but it's with someone you know. Um, where we see this is so critically important is particularly in some of the areas around the country where you might have cyclical employment, you know, whether it's based on tourism or agriculture. And so... You know, when when you look at some of these larger kind of the Wall Street banks or the non-banks, you know, they're they're underwriting and making decisions based on algorithms and, uh, you know, sort of these these black boxes where with the community bank, it's really relationship banking at its core. I mean, that that's what our bankers do. And they, you know, continue to provide really the engine of, uh, of local economies. Yeah, that's important. Very important. Thank you for that mm-hmm. distinction. All right. We're going to jump into... Uh, the uh, the deep right. end here, and right, the issues I'm, of the day. Uh, so, the spot here. Um, one major issue that's been long concerned to ICBA and its members um, is an effort in Congress, which has been going on a while, to uh, quote unquote lower the cost that retailers pay to accept credit and debit cards. Senator Durbin of Illinois has been leading this fight for years on behalf of retailers with some success. The industry is vehemently opposed, saying it will increase costs for banks and consumers and jeopardize their card security and even rewards programs. How so? Well, this might be hard to believe, but the title of the act may not exactly imply, uh, uh, you know, by, by calling it the credit card, you know, competition act, one would assume that means increasing competition among providers so that there would be some benefit to consumers, right? So... <clears throat> You know, there would be, you know, through sort of market principles, increased competition, uh, you know, that will, will put some uh, controls around cost and, and, and make more competitive options, which would in turn be price reductions. Where perhaps the intended consequences are, are, are not um, so clear here, or perhaps, you know, we would, we would describe it as flawed, is really what results in the unintended consequences of, of the act as it was proposed last session. Um, luckily, you know, ICBA, through the really grassroots efforts of our bank members, were able to keep it out of, uh, you know, whether an omnibus or other legislation at the, the, the end of the session. But um, in the 118th Congress, we know, again, as, as you mentioned, uh, this will likely in some form or iteration be reintroduced. 
as you know, this is pretty technical. And so without kind of getting into the weeds of it. Yeah, keep um, it high. Yeah, that's high level. For, high for level it. is when you, know. you, when you make a credit card, you know, sure. purchase a transaction, the messaging goes on what are called dual rails, right? Which, which are basically what they, they sound like without you actually physically seeing it. Um, but it's sort of this dual messaging. So at the point of transaction, you know, you swipe your card or insert your card, sends a message to... Um, you know, the, the the provider and they will um, later at end of day, sort of the dual messaging component is then it clears at the end of the day. Now, Visa and MasterCard, who are household names, have essentially created these rails, right? These are theirs. These are proprietary, um, high levels of security, um, but then have offered them through different credit card offers and providers. Sure. Now, through this act, Senator Durbin is is requiring that merchants be able to offer sort of two separate rails. One may not be the other, meaning you can't have a Visa and a MasterCard. You can have a Visa and another provider or a MasterCard and another provider. Right. Why does this matter for a consumer, right? It sounds like it's all behind the scenes, you know, flip a switch, sure. just bring in a new provider. Well, most of this technology is not even in place. I mean, there are some some issuers, some names we've heard of, um, who are able to to offer this. Um, but it's going to result in, first, merchants have the option to choose which providers they want. Yep. So that is not, you know, with any regard to the consumer's, you know, data protection and security and, and sort of sophistication or ability to offer the, the convenience and the service. Um, and... You know, it's it's going to result in having to issue all new cards. That chip technology is, you know, it's not programmed um, for, you know, allowing this sort of merchant choice. It's not customer choice. It's not consumer choice. Um, and as we saw, uh, you know, there was a similar sort of measure several years ago by by Senator Durbin, which resulted in um, some, you know, resulting uh, laws and regulations around debit cards. Um, those aren't benefits that are passed down to the consumer. In fact, the merchants are the ones that have really benefited. So again, what does this mean long-term? Reissuance of all these cards with chips, creation of of new rails and and, and technology just because, um, you know, and and that's going to be at a considerable cost and expense. Um, what this this bill does, ha- or at least the, the prior version did exempt, you know, sort of the smaller banks or the community banks, um, those under $100 billion in assets. Um, and this happens a lot. You know, someone will say, oh, don't worry about it. You know, it's not going to affect you. But it, it really, in fact, does. And it, it really infects, affects not only the consumers because their costs are going to go up. Yep. Um, but, you know, all of our banks rely on these rails as well for their own sort of, um, you know, logoed cards. And, you know... It, it will be not only passed down to the issuers, but then we're also going to see a reduction in some of the rewards and benefits. Um, you know, everyone loves their credit card rewards, but you, you can't offer them if, um, you know, if the cost and delivery of services is going to become so much more expensive. And just in a real world example, you know, I'm consumer X, I go to the supermarket, <clears throat> I w- take out my v- mm-hmm. Visa or Discover or MasterCard mm-hmm. and I swipe under this, if, under this proposal, I may not 
you know, consumers expect that if you use your MasterCard or it, it goes or, through, and there's protection too, yeah, right? And the you protection, have fraud protection and, and, and that may yeah. not be that may not be that true. may not be the case. Got yeah. it. You also might be earning, you know, cashback points, sort of whatever, and, and that you know is also a jeopardy of, of being lost. Got it. Okay, got it. That's 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 interesting. And and I you answered my next point that Durbin. I know he had a piece in Fox News a while back saying it. Oh, it only applies to banks with more than one yeah. billion in assets. One hundred billion. Yeah. One hundred billion. But yeah. you're saying that that's not true. It, it's, it's not it's, true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and again, these are the unintended consequences. Um, sure. th- we see this quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, there, there's often legislation will say, oh, the, you know, the community banks, they, they should be okay. You know, the, the, we exempt the community banks. You know, the money yeah. is fungible, right? The, yeah. the costs trickle down. Um, it, it, it is an ecosystem, sure. a payments ecosystem that we're all participating on. And and those costs will be borne. Um, you know, and again, the, 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 I think... The uh, the fraud risk has been really understated as well, um, because again, you know, if merchants are choosing which provider to offer, which sort of rail to use, clearly they're going to look at cost. Um, so, you know, is there a potential for a race to the bottom? Yeah, interesting. Good. To know. Um, one final point on this: one trade association spokesman uh, said publicly, uh, politically, it faces an uphill battle in a divided Congress. Do you agree? Well, what's not a political battle, (laughs) or excuse me, an uphill battle in a politically divided Congress? You know, the good news from where I sit is um, we are uh, we we are not a political association. You know, we are uh, we are bipartisan and. Um, you know, we, we have friends on all sides of the aisle because our agenda is the community bank agenda. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, we'll wait and see how it goes. Uh, let's turn to the economy. Um, financial analysts are warning about, uh, continued tough economic times ahead, given high inflation and the threat of a recession. Generally, let me ask you from a consumer vantage point, what should they be thinking about or maybe take advantage of in terms of what community banks offer uh, in terms of products and services to help them stay financially fit, as you know, as the term goes, or even just to stay on track financially, um, basically just to weather the the, the storms that we'll, we'll be going through and and maybe to come. Mm-hmm. And. and- there, there are a number of things that can, consumers can do, certainly. But this is where that distinction between a community bank and a larger bank is so critical. Sure. Um, because for the most part, you're not you're not just dialing into a one eight hundred number to a call center. Um, you know, there are real they're real neighbors, right? You know, these are the the same folks that you know are at PTA meetings and, and sporting events in, sure. in the same town where the the bank is located. Um, are those that that understand the local economy. So you're already kind of off to a better start, right? Because there is this understanding of the market, the market where you are, you know, the current economy, the economy and, and various economic factors, which even with a global recession still are going to vary slightly, you know, based on uh, sort of local geography, industry, et cetera. Uh, but, you know, I think this is really a time, what was interesting we saw during the, the you know, sort of COVID-induced, you know, uh, you know, recession, although I, I don't think it was officially called that, we saw this uptick in savings, right? There yeah. was a lot of savings. Yep. And then that bent up savings has resulted in, you know, substantial spending. Um, and so, you know, this is really a, a good opportunity um, for for any consumer or small business to really look at, you know, is there a seasonality to whether it's your earnings, um, your, uh, you know, sort of... Um, just spending habits, those types of things, you know, really have a good understanding of what your finances look like at this moment in time. 
and if you foresee trouble, right? If you if if you foresee tough times, that's when you go to your banker. Right. Um, and your banker, again, if it's a community bank banker, is going to have a very different relationship with you and kind of talk through those things. You know, understand what what's being offered in terms of products and services right now. Um, you know, even budgeting tools and, and things like that that are certainly available. Um, yeah. You know, we'll see. Uh, you know, sort of the the, the good news of, of the the uh, the action by the Fed with interest rates is you you start to see some effect on you know some savings accounts, um, while at the same time you know we've seen seen investments accounts really struggle. So again, it's it's just a good time to have these conversations. You know, both based on not only sort of your family budget, yep. but also you know again this is with your banker understanding. Um, you know, are there any things that you should be doing to be prepared, right? What is your interest rate on a certain loan or, you know, mortgage? Is it fixed rate? Is it floating? You know, just to have a better sense of that to really kind of take control of your finances. I think that also gives you some self-assurance, um, you know, but at the at the end of the day, um, you know, again, I understand why some folks think, right, you know, you're a little bit reluctant to walk into the bank branch and, and kind of say, hey, you know, I, yeah, we sit next to each other at our kids, you know, baseball game, but let's talk about these problems that I'm having. But but these are professionals, you know, not only are they professionals, but they're um, they're trained, they're um, they know what they're doing. Um, and, and again, they, they're so in tune with their local communities that it's really um you know, it, it's really setting yourself up as a consumer or, or business owner for success. Yeah. Um, and then also, and from the business standpoint, now is a great time, you know, if you are thinking about, um, you know, potentially planning for or whether you're making a move for employment or um, looking at opening a different business or something like that, not that it's necessarily a great time to, to, to you know, take that leap and do it, but to, again, start talking to the bank about what do you, what will my, what are your expectations? You know, what, do I need a business plan? Do I need financial projections? You know, what, what are the things that I need to, um, you know, to sort of line up during this sort of potential period, whether it's a slowdown or, um, you know, or, or if we will be heading into a, a recession, you know, you you know, I, I think that it's a good time to plan. Yep. Um, but again, communication is really critical here. So, so you don't find yourself, you know, again, uh, behind, right? Or where you are really in a position where you're struggling. And it's a great time to save now. It's a great time to save. You're listening to Coffee with Closers, a podcast produced by Pinkston, a strategic communications firm based just outside Washington, D.C., whether your organization is looking for traditional public relations, creative content, or business strategy to support brand awareness or protect against reputational risks, our team of highly dedicated, experienced, and successful communications professionals stand at the ready to help you break through the noise in today's ever-changing and competitive news cycle. For more on our services and capabilities, we invite you to visit us at pinkston.co. And don't forget... Subscribe to our podcast, which is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Amazon, and iHeartRadio Podcasts. From a community bank perspective, um, how best can policymakers support them uh, to ensure that they can continue to support the main street businesses and the communities they served. I know you touched upon it just a little bit, no, but is there anything, is there anything else you want to add on that? 
Well, I think uh, I'm not sure how long we have. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it can go forever, right? <laughs> yeah. This is really, again, just understanding the differentiation between what's a community bank, what's a Wall Street bank, what are these mega banks? Sure. Um, community banks engage in relationship banking. Um, and that is exactly as it sounds. They have relationships with their their customers. Um, they they communicate with their customers. They're um, you know again part of the community and really the engine and backbone of these communities. Sure. Um, so whether it's consumers with consumer savings and spending um, purchases or also, but really in the small business space, uh, that's where we really see community banks far and wide. You know exceed larger institutions and non-banks and being able to really deliver sustainable financing products that are going to allow those, those small businesses really to thrive. Yeah. Um, so when policymakers paint a broad brush and you hear a lot of time, oh, the banks are doing this or the banks are doing that, um, it, it's really a different animal. I mean, a, a community bank is so vastly different than, you know, the, the a Wall Street or Omega Bank. Yeah. Um, that that really, uh, there, there's a good deal of education that I think we at ICBA need to continue to provide to policymakers to really ensure that they understand that that distinction. And do you think consumers, I don't know this, so I'm asking <laughs> you, do you think consumers sometimes might feel over overwhelmed by maybe a larger, uh, you know, your... You're walking into your local community bank on Main Street after you're grabbing your cup of coffee on a Saturday morning is a lot easier to do than maybe, you know, like you said, the big call centers and and the the hoops that you might have to, because they're big enterprises. Yeah, Yeah. but you know what I mean? I think this this goes back to the the point about banking local, right? You are part of and within your community. So everyone has the same end goal in mind of having a thriving community, you know, yeah. a thriving main street. Yeah. Um, and that's, you're not going to find that anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're uh, sponsoring the 5k runs and the, and the baseball the uniform. Run, perhaps <laughs> not the, you know, the big, uh, yeah, the big ex- ex- exactly. The, the Super Bowl and those things, but, uh, but the 5k and the, the little league game probably are a little bit more meaningful. That's great. A uh, couple more questions. I want to, uh, another issue top of mind for you, for ICBA is the, um, there's a growing trend that, that, uh, is going on with, uh, credit unions, uh, uh, acquiring community banks. Uh, I understand last year there were about 15 announcements of a credit union buying a bank, surpassing last year's total of about 13. What's happening? Why is it happening? And why is this bad? There, there's a lot of um, you know directions that, that we could go with this conversation sure. about credit unions, but you know, at the end of the day, credit unions are tax exempt entities, yeah. uh, the same as you know the the, the any other kind of nonprofit institution. So the example, uh, you know, in this acquisition space that, I, that I've shared, um, you know, and sort of around our, our dining room table, which you can imagine how interesting our, our dining room table conversations are if these are the things I'm raising, but uh, my family is very patient. Um, is this what you talk about? We, we talk about these things. Okay. Yes, like, yeah. you know, capital requirements, <laughs> liquidity, credit unions. Oh, that's great. Um, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure all, the, all yeah. that, that others feel the way, but um, but you know, imagine a, a, a food pantry or a soup kitchen deciding they want to be a Michelin star fine dining establishment and keeping the same tax exempt status. Sure. Um, and not only that, but failing to serve the community. I mean, the the purpose of a credit union, you know, why they've had this status has been 
you know, hundreds of years in the, the making, or you know, about a hundred years, uh, where they were given this status because of really serving this purpose, being member-owned, organized, managed, yep. so that the members, with some common theme of membership, not only would benefit, but then also the broader sort of community. Particularly, and I think they use the language, those of modest means, which today we would say, you know, low to moderate income communities, would also be benefiting. We've seen them move so far away from this. Um, and, and because of that status, credit unions are not subject to things like the Community Reinvestment Act, which is sort of a check and balance on ensuring that if you're taking deposits from a community, you're making loans in that community. Um, they're, they're, uh, the cyber requirements and security requirements are, are de minimis. Um, there, there's, you know, different attention to, uh, to certain threats uh, you know, again, including what vendors are being used, capital standards, sort of all of those things that banks demonstrate time and time again that they are up for the, you know, the challenge of keeping your, you know, your money safe and secure, safe and sound. Credit unions aren't, you know, they, they really don't have to play by the same rules. So what we're seeing are, you know, getting these nonprofit institutions going out and raising like sub-debt funds, like subordinated debt, private equity money, you know, these big investments to then come in and, and buy up smaller banks. Mm-hmm. And then many cases, we'll see then the bank gets shut down, right? And, and again, there's no consequence to the credit union. There's a significant consequence to that community. Uh, but, but there's no sort of check or balance or oversight on the credit union who, you know, just sort of gobbles up, gets those deposits, um, and then kind of moves on to the next one. You know, it's just... You know, imagine if if your gross and net income were the same, right? You you could you could play by different rules, um, and that's largely what we're seeing in the credit union space. And again, what's troubling is this lack of sort of penalty or oversight to really address, uh, you know, what what becomes problematic when you know a community loses, you know, what has otherwise been, you know, really its lifeline. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, that's good. Well, we'll keep an eye on that and see how it goes because I know that's continuing to be well, top. People, and, and I will say, but candidly, people love, you know, you hear, oh, credit unions, right? They're, you know, serving the community. And and that was the original, you know, intent, yeah. but they've they've gone so far away from that where we're seeing uh, names on stadiums, bowl games, yeah. um, you know, sponsored by credit unions, you know, it, it, it's just, it's time sort of like with many other things for uh, Congress to take another look at that sort of status and the, the, the rules that rules of the road for credit unions, because yeah. it's really very different than, uh, and, and moves so far away from the original intent and purpose. That's interesting. All right. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll keep following that. Um, on a similar line here, to address the closing of bank branches and improve financial inclusion, there's been congressional push to offer financial services through the U.S. Post Office, the Postal Service. Um, you guys strongly oppose this effort, saying, and I believe this was your CEO, quote, Post- postal banking in any form is an ill-advised idea fraught with unintended consequences. Why should, the, why should the U.S. Postal Service not be in the business of banking? Well, uh Usually when you think of efficient delivery of services, you don't think of a governmental entity as sure. the, you know, the, the one to bring that to the public. You know, again, I, our system is based on, you know, having independent uh, banks offering services. There's there's significant regulation training, uh, you know, requirements that go into this and, and having the, the public's confidence, you know, faith and trust in the system really sure. since FDR, you know, put FDIC insurance in place, you know, in the 30s. Um, 
the, the post office again. It, it's it, it sounds like a good idea, right? Maybe there's going to be something on the on the every corner or you know in every main street. You're going to see a um, ability to to bank at your you know buy your stamps, send a send a package back to Amazon, and yeah. uh, and, 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 and conduct a banking transaction. You know, at that point now, are we doing sort of government-sponsored banking? You know, have we um, sort of interfered with with sort of our, our founders' purpose around setting up our, our our dual banking system the way it looks today? Yeah. Um, and then there's there's so much risk of fraud. I mean, we, we'll see now. You know, examples of sort of mailbox theft, fraud, oh, yeah. misplaced funds. Um, I think there were a pilot program or two with um, trying seeing if if postal deliver you know services could could offer banking services that you know, terrifically failed. Um, so again, it, it's why would we we put a lot of, you know, taxpayer funds into, you know, a, a public entity that that may or may not, uh, you know, have the, the capacity or, or capability of really delivering these services. Why do you think, why do you, what need, what? What need is what, it addressing? Or what, no, I mean, uh, I, it, why why have the push? Why do they see where do they see the missing piece? What, what missing piece is trying to be is our legislators trying to fill here? You know, it's it's usually those who largely are critical of, of sort of private, you know, commercial banks Got as it. they okay. stand. Got it. Okay. But, but again, why would we put taxpayer dollars into, you know, to something uh, you know, the FDIC insurance is paid for by the banks, right? The banks pay into the insurance fund to support the deposits. Got it. Um, so, uh, you know, I think there's there's always the push of let's just sort of, you know, centralize or nationalize banking. Got it. All right, a couple more questions we'll, and then we'll uh, close here. Uh, another piece of legislation you guys, um, ICBA supports, it did not pass last year, is the uh, Safe Banking Act, which is designed to protect financial institutions that provide services to state um, legal cannabis-related businesses. This is a very interesting piece of legislation. I think one that it sounds like we're almost at the finish line, trying to get over the goal line, not quite there yet. Um, What's holding it up? Yeah, that's a great question because you saw in the last election during the midterms how many states actually took measures uh, to pass legalization of some form of marijuana. Most states already have a medical marijuana, um, you know, licensing capability. What's been interesting about this is there's been opposition on both sides. Uh, You know, sort of one side of the aisle is saying it doesn't go far enough with social reforms, you know, decriminalization efforts around sort of marijuana possession and, 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 you know, sort of drug-related offenses. On the other side, it's are you endorsing you know, drug use, right? Are you endorsing marijuana use? Got it. Our position has always been banks should be able to deliver financial services to a legal business. If it's a legally operating business and that is within sort of the bank's footprint and, you know, sort of risk profile, why why are they prohibited from delivering banking services? Um, and the result has been, you know, many of these businesses now are largely operating in cash. Yep you know, subject to theft and, and, and pretty high risk at this point. So, you know, again, we, we, we got very close to the goal line. I mean, we, we were watching yeah. this, I think, right up to, you know, probably December 21st, where, you know, we're still waiting to see if it, if it made it through. Um, and, and it did not. So, you know, we're going to continue to push this again. It's a, it's a, it's a legally, you know, operating business. We're not making any type of judgment or sure. uh, casting any, um, you know, yeah, is the concern that um, because the federal 
laws and the state laws are different due to financial conflict. Yes. And financial mm-hmm. institutions might may they may not be he- they may be hesitant or like Right. Face well, some repercussions for absolutely. that. Absolutely, and and so banks. When you open a bank account and you have to complete, you know, thirty five different questions about sort of source of funds and sort of all of those things. Technically, because there's no federal, um, you know, sort of decriminalization of marijuana, there is going to be a conflict with the state law. So even if it's legal to operate in the state. Sort of when a federal bank regulator comes in, it, it would be deemed, you know, that you're you're trading in sort of an illegal business. Got it. So you know that's where where banks' hands are tied, really, because you know again, you know, these are legally operating within the you know sort of purview of whatever state requirements are you know exist. But uh, you know, according to our, our the the federal prudential regulators that come in and, and look at the bank's books, you know, these are still sort of illicit activities. Got it. Let's talk to crypt- let's talk crypto just a minute. Speaking of illicit activity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we had the collapse of FTX. We did. Um, put even more intense scrutiny on the stability and security of crypto markets. Um, I understand some community banks are participating in this space. Um, what is the future of crypto assets from your vantage point and what, regula- what regulatory guidance would ICPA like to see from Congress here? You know, I, I would love a crystal ball to know the, the future <laughs> of crypto assets. Yeah. I think from ICPA, we've been consistent in our position all along here. <clears throat> yeah. um, there, there's risk. There's significant risk. Uh, you know, it is a decentralized system for a reason. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the concern becomes when um, these are ancillary services being offered and essentially sort of mirroring a, a sort of shadow banking type of operation, um, which as we've seen with the speculation of the, of the FTX collapse, but also, you know, th- more have come, more preceded it, more are probably, you know, coming. Um, it it creates this dynamic where if that gets wrapped into the fold of sort of our baseline, you know, traditional financial system, this would have been a significant uh, disruption, you know, yeah. to, to the economy, to, to the, the global economy, really. Yeah. But luckily, it's been largely walled off because it operated sort of outside of the banking sector or the financial uh, sector largely. But, you know, there, there's so much risk here. And, you know, we certainly have a concern around these sort of sh- these uh Charter light, like bank light charters, right? Whether it's at a state level or federal level, where it it kind of gives the appearance and indicia that these are sort of financial institutions that are that are regulated. But you know, it, sort of, if you're offering the same products and services, you should be subject to the same regulatory oversight and scrutiny. Whether it's on the sort of Bank Secrecy Act, any money laundering side, or if it's on you know capital liquidity requirements. I mean, we have seen a lot of consumers um, lose a lot of money and. And again, thankfully, it's it's largely not disrupted the financial system or the stability of the financial system in the way it, it could have. But you know, we we are very concerned by the sort of aggressive marketing. I mean, my my thirteen year old daughter had an Instagram ad telling her to buy Bitcoin. Oh my gosh! Are you wow? Because she's my daughter, she said, "Do you have any disclosures?" Which is you know, again, because thanks to these dinner conversations. Yeah. But uh, this is you know this aggressive nature of oh, you can you can make money, you know, you get rich quick. It's the shiny object of the moment. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we're still trying to figure out the best use case scenario for this. If it's an investment, then call it an investment and have it subject to SEC regulation. Sure. If it's some type of financial currency or product, then 
it needs to be regulated yeah. as such. But, uh, you know, it, it, you know, banks deliver these same services. You know, all the arguments I've heard in favor of it, mm-hmm. banks are already doing, you know, faster payments, instant payments, um, clearing transactions quickly, high volume clearing transactions, uh, you know, sort of all of these things that are, that are uh, said to be benefits of, you know, operating in this space. You know, our, our banks have been doing that for, for years. Yeah, that's great. Let's turn to some fun stuff um, real quick. Uh, ICBA, um, I know you got your conference going, upcoming in Honolulu. Uh, what's new at ICBA? What, what are some of the new and exciting things that you've got in store for your members and what can um, what will be top of mind as your uh, as the meeting begins? Well, top of mind will be the sun, especially yeah. as I'm looking yeah, at the window say, this yeah. great day. But, uh, you know, again, top of mind is this is, this is a gathering like no other of just yeah. bringing all of these Right. Uh, energized community bank leaders into one space. Um, and, and we really derive so much energy off of each other and so many ideas for our, you know, not only our policy agendas next year, but but sort of all of our offerings. But one exciting thing I mentioned when I described ICB in the beginning is, is on our innovation side. Yeah. Um, you know, we've brought innovation in-house. Um, right. So it's year-round uh, where we have bankers advise what types of, you know, systems technologies, uh, you know, what can we put in place to make their delivery of services better yeah. uh, and more optimal? And there's really nothing like that. You know, there's there's so many, there are a lot of great fintech firms and they'll come into the bank and pitch you why you need this product or service. Um, but this is, this is the only time where the bankers are saying, this is what our customers want. This is how we can deliver our services. Yeah. You know, here where we see our areas to, to make things either more efficient or a better experience. Um, and so we've brought that in house this year and we're, uh, we're, we're kicking this off in a space in Atlanta, um, you That's know, great. which is a great tech hub and, uh, just so excited to see, you know, that really the, the, you know, the sky's the limit here in terms of what's to come. That's great. Let me ask you one last question. <clears throat> what keeps you up at night? And what I mean by that is you've worked in uh, the O'Malley administration. You work, uh, ICBA works across the aisle, <clears throat> both parties. There seems to be, you know, obviously you have significant, you know, there's regulatory challenges that you're always dealing with. Either what keeps you up at night or what are the things that, that you wish lawmakers, either in Washington or at the, in, in state capitals, um, you know, what... What do you think they would, what do you wish they would understand better about community banks and what they do? Yeah, that's a great question. And as I mentioned before, this notion of relationship banking, uh, they they really can't, there can't be enough said about the benefits of having relationship banking. Um, I understand it's difficult as a regulator. You know, I, I sat in their shoes. I, I, you, you're trying to promulgate regulation that can apply to the masses, right? But but the banks aren't our community banks aren't applying anything to the masses, right? These are based on individual relationships, individual individual community needs. So I, I you know I just can't emphasize enough the need to really look to the boards and management of our banks and see that they are really making these strongly informed decisions and prudent decisions um, because there still continues to be this tension between regulators and, and bankers when at the end of the day we all still want safe and sound institutions that are flourishing um, and, and so that that's challenging you know the other the other thing that always concerns me is these non-banks that sort of purport to or represent uh, that, that that they're banks and you know one of the things 
you know, that is concerning, particularly sort of generationally is, you know, it's my, my 13 year old daughter asking if, if Bitcoin is a, is a bank account. Um, you know, it's it's understanding the distinction, understanding why, you know, we have these institutions that have withstood the test of time, uh, you know, and, and since the, the Great Depression, we have served our communities um, and, and, and operated in, in this prudent way. And that's for a reason, you know, and, and, and it's just so important to have a relationship with your bank, to have a bank account, to understand, you know, what it means to, to manage your finances and and again, that happens when it's a collaborative relationship, which is what our, our community banks do. And I, I, I can't say it enough. I, I'm so proud of the work that our banks do. Um, I wish, you know, it was not overshadowed by some of what we see by some of the mega banks or the, the Wall Street banks, um, because it is it is so very different. Yeah. And it's so critically important to, again, the, the local, you know, economies um, that, that truly you know, are fueled by by the the, the credit and, and financial um, access that they have through our banks. That's great. And is there anything um, we talked? We covered a lot of ground today. Is there is there anything you'd like to add that maybe I didn't ask? No, this has been so great for yeah. me. Thank you so much. I could talk about community banking no. for you know for the next three hours if we wanted to. So I really appreciate it. What uh what prompted? I mean, you said this is uh, seven days a week dinner conversation. Yeah. Uh, what, what what sparked your interest in um in Financial services and it's banking. Very interesting. I uh, I went to law school intending to become, uh, you know, an advocate for arts and arts and education. Oh wow, interesting. Um, and I I worked with a legal services agency in Baltimore during yes, law I did. school. Yeah, and we were representing homeowners that were low income homeowners that had been preyed upon during redlining and and flipping schemes, uh, in in predatory housing. Um, and I worked with um, you know some, you know. Homeowners, first-time homeowners coming out of, um, you know, like sort of Section 8 or, or uh, low-income housing um, who are relying on me, you know, like a 23-year-old kid to try to put them in a better better situation. And I just felt like there was this tremendous responsibility, um, you know, both with a law degree and then also really in the, the, the housing and finance space. And that just fueled the interest. And then I happened to, um, you know, be working... Uh, in that field, um, really trying to work with homeowners that were facing foreclosure, and then moved into the O'Malley administration during the last financial crisis, um, and again saw again the, the the critical need of this collaborative environment. And you know, we are so hyper um, politicized today, and there, there's so much partisan politics right now, where the common theme, the common denominator is this, you know, a thriving main street, a thriving community. And that comes from having our strong banks continue to be able to operate and, and engage and work with their, their customers. And so, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's really just such a passion because I've seen yeah. firsthand, sure. you know, both the negative consequences um, for, you know, my, my legal services clients from, you know, years yeah. and years ago to um, the really positive impact through, you know, delivery of the, the PPP funds to, you know, small business loans, agricultural loans, all of those things that really, you know, th- 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 there's nothing else like it. That's great. <clears throat> Ann Balser, Independent Community Bankers of America, we thank you for joining us today. Thank you for your advocacy on behalf of the community banks around our country and keeping our Main Street businesses and communities thriving now and for the long term. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much.
A, always, B, B, C, closing. Always be closing. Always be closing. We're the Pinkston team, and this has been Coffee with Closers. Be sure to subscribe for more episodes and follow us on Twitter, TikTok, and LinkedIn. Catch us next time. We know you're not busy.